everywhere. This is for you. Now entering the game for Philly Press Box Radio, Bill Furman and Jim Chet Chesco. It's Wednesday, January 22nd, 2020. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, the Super Bowl is set with the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid facing the San Francisco 49ers. The Flyers go into the All-Star break on a hot streak. The streaky Sixers have won four in a row. The Baseball Hall of Fame class of 2020 has been announced, and spring training is just right around the corner. We're going to cover it all. Yeah, and if we have time, Bill, we're going to run down all of this year's Screen Actors Guild Award winners and preview Sunday night's Grammy Awards, but I have a feeling that's not going to happen. <laughs> I have a feeling we will not have time for that. As a matter of fact, but I'm what if, certain we won't have time What about time the for that. Brad Pitt-Jennifer Aniston reunion the other night? Come on, everybody's talking about that. Uh, everybody? Well, almost everybody. Hey, you mentioned uh, the Hall of Fame. You mentioned the Hall of Fame. Who's the one jerk who had the gall to deprive Derek Jeter of a unanimous election? It wasn't you, was it, Bill? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, but, you know, uh, our buddy, Frank Fitzpatrick, uh, <laughs> put his put his comments out there about that. And uh, interesting, thought. Frank being a writer. Um, I don't know if he's ever been a voter, but he but he's a writer. And uh, he, so he's followed it closely over the years and doesn't see Derek Jeter as a Willie Mays or Hank Aaron, who also were not unanimous choices. So yeah. um, what do you think? Well, I think that's ridiculous, too. I mean, how do you not vote for those guys the first time around? I, I don't get that. Why do you want to deprive somebody who's obviously a deserving first ballot Hall of Famer? Why do you want to deprive them of that unanimous recognition that they should have? Yeah, Willie Mays, of course, Hank Aaron, yeah, uh, so many other guys. But until Mariano Rivera, it never happened. And I thought, well, maybe that's a thing of the past now. But, no, they did it again to uh, Derek Jeter, one guy, one voter had to be difficult. Well, yeah, and, you know, it's kind of crazy because if you look at a lot of these players, you mentioned a few, and you can throw Mike Schmitz and Steve Carlton's and Cal Ripken's and Tony Gwynn's and yeah. a whole bunch of others that, you know, they're first ballot Hall of Famers. Right. Uh, they, they could all have been unanimous Hall of Famers, and, you know, nobody would argue. Mm-hmm. So... Very strange, very strange. Interesting. But, wait, we're going to talk Hall of Fame. It was going to be one of our topics to talk to with our guest tonight. And uh, I'm excited to have Glenn Macnow joining us from WIP. Glenn is always uh, great and just wrote a real good piece on the Hall of Fame. So excited to get his take on that as well. Yeah, and Glenn's going to be calling in in just a minute. But while we wait for Glenn, what do you make of the news of the day? Uh, Somebody apparently suing Gritty and the Flyers for assault claiming that Gritty, at a photo shoot, hit his 13-year-old kid in the back, essentially punched him in the back. Do you, do you buy that? I don't buy that for one second, uh, Chet. That's, that that uh, sounds like a money grab to me. What do, you, what do you think? Yeah, I think so, too. Maybe we'll talk to that later, but let's get our guest on. Well, let's do it. As we said, uh, let's welcome our man uh, from WIP, Glenn Macnow. Glenn, welcome back. Glad to have you with us. Hey, guys. My pleasure. How you all doing? Doing great. Doing great. 
Hey, Glenn, it's Chet. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to talk mm -hmm. Eagles and Phillies in a bit, but let's start with some Hall of Fame talk first. Harold Carmichael will go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this August, finally. Baseball is going to put Derek Jeter and Larry Walker in, but Kurt Schilling was a uh, near miss, about 20 votes shy. You wrote a piece for Metro Philly last week about the next batch of retired Philly athletes and coaches who should go into their halls. For those who didn't see it, in addition to Kurt Schilling, who'd you have on that list? Um, well, I started the list with, to me, the guy who was the most obvious, uh, which is Eric Allen, who was a great member of the Eagles uh, late 80s through the 1990s, Buddy Ryan's favorite cornerback. He's never even been a finalist, which I don't understand at all. The guy got into six Pro Bowls. He has 54 career interceptions. He's got more, more interceptions than Deion Sanders in his career. And you know from watching him here, he always shut down the other team's best receiver, to me, Eric Allen is a guy who got lost in history, and that's unfair to his greatness. So we'll yeah, start with I, him. I agree. Okay, I mean, you know, stop me at any point. Um, I put Dick Vermeil on the list, who was a mm -hmm. finalist this time around. Um, they let in Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cower. And listen, I'm not going to argue against either of those guys. The thing about Vermeil I think hurts his chances is his career coaching record, 120 and 109, is not spectacular. But that's because he took over really awful teams, and it took a while to make them good. And right. he took a, just a dead Eagles team and got it to a Super Bowl. He took a horrible Rams team and won a Super Bowl. So I think Vic Vermeil is a guy who deserves to get in. Uh, you had said Schilling, who I think uh, should and probably will within the next few years. I went old school with Dick Allen, um, somebody who's a lot of uh, – a, a lot of – a lot of people grew up watching Dick Allen in this town and know how great he was. He did not have a long career. He didn't have a lot of seasons where he played 150, 160 games, so he didn't have those big career stats. But he, man, nobody was a more feared hitter. And um, I put Rod Brindamore uh, of the Flyers on the list, who's a guy who didn't have any great, great seasons, but put together 20, 20 seasons he played. And could do absolutely everything. Uh, he's now He was the captain of a Stanley Cup team. Unfortunately, not here. He's now a good coach in the league. I think Rod Brindamore should go in. Yep, and Seth Joyner. And I'm glad you put Dick oh, Allen on that list. Yeah, and Dick Allen, he, even though you weren't in Philly for either of Allen's two stints with the Phils, I really hope the Golden Era Committee, or whatever it's called now, does the right thing later this year for Crash. My favorite Philly when I first began watching baseball. As you said, his numbers don't look unbelievable when you look at them but his career wasn't that long and he had some monster home runs and his OPS and all that stuff those numbers were really good so I hope Dick Allen finally gets in while he's still with us yeah and he played during an era when there weren't as many home runs it was kind of a dead ball era back then and so when he was hitting 34 36 a season that was the equivalent of hitting 45 47 a season now and I think needs to be recognized within that context Hey, Glenn, as a follow-up to that, uh, you know, on the Jimmy Johnson thing, it, it troubles me that a guy that, and, and I'm a little biased because it's still the stinking Cowboys, but, uh, you know, he won 80 games. He won 80 games. Now, i got to say he won two Super Bowls. He certainly de deserves credit for that. But it seems like for a coach, you need to have a little bigger uh, overall scope of work for, than 80, you know, to me. Yeah, and here's where I think Vermeil kind of wins the argument over Jimmy Johnson. Listen, Jimmy Johnson did great. He really did greatness with the Cowboys, and he won those two stick in Super Bowls. And 
you know, he took a team that was 1-15 his first year, and, and they became a great team. But he could not replicate that at all when he went to Miami. He was unsuccessful in his second stint, whereas Dick Vermeil made it work here, made it work in St. Louis. And then if you remember, he went to Kansas City, and he got them within one game of going to the Super Bowl. So Dick Vermeil did it with three separate franchises. Jimmy Johnson could not. Yeah, that's right. And and the other thing I wanted to point out, too, and, and Kurt Schilling really, to me, it's that Schilling is a in because people don't like him. He certainly speak for himself. You know, he's the only 3,000-strikeout guy. Um, he could say that he didn't pitch well in the, the playoffs. That's not true. He's got a couple World Series. I mean, there, there's certainly mm-hmm. other than he's not necessarily a nice guy who hasn't been. Kurt Schilling shouldn't have been. Well, listen, I, my opinion of Kurt Schilling is I've, you know, I don't know how many pitchers are as outstanding big game pitchers as Schilling. Uh, maybe Oral Hirschheiser back in the 80s, maybe um, Madison Bumgarner recently. But you knew if you were going into the postseason with Kurt Schilling, he was going to win that game. Um, he, he had landmark, you know, the bloody sock game, his stuff with Arizona, uh, the game here, the, the, against the Braves, where I think he struck out seven of the first eight hitters. Kurt Schilling was a terrific big game pitcher. Certainly his, his personality, his, his it's not even his positions. It's more the way he espouses them. doesn't help his chances, but I always try to separate the artist from the art. And in the case of this, I'm just looking at the art. All right. Uh, let's talk a little Eagles, Glenn. The Eagles somehow did make the playoffs again this year, but they have a bunch of off-season needs. What do you see as being the top priorities? Oh, no question, it's wide receiver. I mean, they have to redo that whole thing. Um, I don't see how you can bring back all Sean Jeffrey being as divisive as he was to that team. I also don't think he's going to contribute much. It's going to be really hard to get rid of him, but if they can, they got to move on from him. I wouldn't bring back Nelson Aguilar also. And I don't know that to bring back Deshaun um, Jackson because he's never healthy. So that means you've got to start that entire thing all over again, combination of draft picks and free agents. That is, you can't ask Carson Wentz to win games with the guys he finished up the season with. He did win games with those guys, but that is not a plan moving forward. Glenn, what's your take on the job Doug Peterson did over the latter part of the season with all these young guys where he had to basically dummy down the offense for the practice squad guys and then had to dummy it down again when Carson Wentz went down early in the playoff game? Well, yeah, and, and you know, the last time he did his best. There's, there's not much you can do with a 41-year-old immobile quarterback, but um, – yeah, I, Doug, he did exactly what you just said. And the other strength of Doug that impresses me every year is every year over the last three, including the Super Bowl season, there's been a point kind of midway in the season, usually November, where things are just looking bad. You know, they were 5-7 and seven this year, and that was it. It was over. They had a similar circumstance last year where it could have fallen apart. And I've seen teams in all sports, certainly in the NFL, when things go bad, that team will fall apart. The players will quit. They'll get divisive. The coaches won't, it won't work. Doug Peterson has managed three years in a row, including the Super Bowl winning season. When, you know, they're going to Nick Foles and nobody believed Nick Foles could take him there, Doug Peterson has managed to hold it together, and that is a great skill as a head coach. I give him a lot of points for that. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, we've talked a lot about the Malkin Jenkins situation, the fact that he says he won't play his final year of his contract as it is. I know he's 32 and didn't have a great first half of the season, but he finished up very strongly, and he is a real good team leader, obviously. How do you see this playing out, then, with Malcolm Jenkins? Yeah, they got to make him happy, and I think they know that. Um, he means a lot for the team, both in terms of defense. You know, their, their second biggest need after wide receiver, to me, is in the secondary. They're going to have to find some cornerbacks. Uh, they may have to find another safety. So you don't want to start just f- completely from scratch there. Malcolm doesn't have a whole lot of years left, but he has probably one good year left, maybe two. So you give him that new deal. You give him a lot of money for a short term, two years guaranteed, big money, uh, make him happy, and bring him back. They can, they'll be able to afford that under the cap, and it would be foolish for them to try to move on from him now. And what do you think about Jason Peters at the same time? You think uh, it's time for the big fella to part ways and whether he wants to retire or not, he needs to retire from the Eagles. I do. Unless he would, if he would come back for a significant pay cut, I would be interested. Um, But he makes a lot of money. Um, You know, listen, he's earned it. He's an all pro all those years, a future hall of famer, but you drafted Andre Dillard in the first round. Um, you know, he's got a long way to go before he's Jason Peters, but there is that point where you turn it over to the future. And Jason Peters is a luxury they can't afford now. Again, if he comes back for half the price, sure. But if if he wants to get paid what he has been paid in the past, you say goodbye, and then in five years you put him in the Eagles Hall of Fame. Yep, I agree. A right, little Phillies talk. The lineup, Glenn, still has some question marks, but we're all pretty excited about the Joe Girardi hiring. I was at the uh, Philly Sports Writers Banquet Monday night, and Joe got a standing ovation before he even said a word. So a lot of excitement there. Lots of uncertainties, as they said, but what do you think? Will this year's Phils do better than last year's 500 team? Uh, you know, a little, maybe. Um, if they won 84, or excuse me, 81 last year, I could see them. I would put them – I think the Vegas over-under now is 84, and I think that's a pretty accurate number. Um, they really didn't address the pitching as they needed to in the offseason. They got Zach Wheeler, and that's a nice addition to the staff, maybe as a three-starter, but they're still relying on Jake Arrieta to come back. I don't know about that. There's still room on this team for Vinny Velazquez. Boy, we're all tired of that one. Uh, so I don't think, and now they're bringing in kind of washed-up relievers on a prayer, hoping that somebody will pan out. Bud Norris wasn't even in the game last year. Um, I just, I think, and actually this is the Metro column I'm going to write tomorrow. I think when you sign a Bryce Harper for all of that money, you commit to your fan base and the franchise that you are willing to go above and beyond. And going, and they didn't do that this off season. I like Gregorius. That's you know that was a fine addition. That's great. As I said, Wheeler's okay, but they didn't do enough. The Braves did. The Braves did a lot. The Phillies sat still, and I, and and I think they're going to regret that. I was going to mention. I heard you and Ray on Saturday, and you guys are thrilled that Nick Pavetta and Vinny Velasquez are still around. <laughs> not at all I, it's insane to me i mean you know pavetta i guess one more year benefit of the doubt okay let's see there are people who believed in him a while ago new pitching coach could help him right they got a new pitching coach and that's that's got to improve things but really we just need to see another season of any velasquez he to me 
You know, there's back in the in the uh, in the late '90s when the Phillies were really bad. There's certain guys you just like associate with the bad years of the franchise. And to me, Vinny Velasquez, I associate with disappointing Phillies of this era, and I I don't need to see any more of that. <laughs> me me neither. I'm with you. Well, you know, yeah. the, I think the Girardi uh, hiring certainly got a lot of bang. Did how do you feel? I mean, we just went through this Kapler thing and. And obviously that didn't go well, but how much can the manager actually bring to a roster? Do you feel like, can he turn many losses into wins? I mean, he, he's not going to swing the bat. He's not going to throw the ball. Right. And, you know, to the degree that a manager affects strategy, it's probably a handful of games a year, knowing when he's got to take the pitcher out, knowing when, you know, to, to, to sacrifice bunt, to pinch hit, whatever. But as I said, this about Doug Peterson. Um, I think the same about Charlie Manuel. The great skill of Charlie Manuel was not that he was a strategic genius, because he sure wasn't. The strength of Charlie Manuel is, for a lot of years, he managed a club with huge ego guys, right? Big guys, big stars, and kept that team from turning on itself, kept there from being divisiveness, kept the guys in the game, kept them working for it. And I think that's where a manager in baseball um, makes the most difference is setting the tone. Joe Girardi is a professional. Joe Girardi is going to have high expectations. Um, Joe Girardi is a guy that if you're a player, you respect. And I think that over time, you know, maybe not this year, it's going to lead to the world series, but I think over time, when you have somebody like that, it really helps the franchise. And, and that to me is the attraction of, of uh, Joe Girardi. Well, two years ago, uh, Joe Girardi's Yankees lost to the Astros in the playoffs. Astros went on to win the World Series. We have the baseball cheating scandal now. Glenn, is this going to blow over, or will there be more fallout ahead? Well, I think we really haven't still heard the Red, right. We haven't heard the resolution of the Red Sox part. Right. So you know that I think that shoe is going to drop, and when that shoe drops, that's going to be another big firestorm. Those are two teams that won the World Series. Both beat the Dodgers. Um, no, I think this, this one stinks and, um, I think baseball would like it to blow over, but I think like the, we will always remember the steroid era for what it was kind of a dirty time. I think, unfortunately, this era of baseball has now been besmirched by the Astros and, and probably by the Red Sox. And I think that's all going to be part of history. Well, to me, it's kind of interesting to see how, how it's really going to play out because it seemed like that the, the videos that I've been able to see that it was so blatant. Even the pitchers on the mound knew they they had his signs. And I'm not sure he knew how they were getting them, but he heard the banging on the trash cans too. Um, yeah. I mean, it's such, such blatant cheating. And then, and then you give the players uh, immunity, you know, to me, this is this is a whole organizational issue. Everybody had to know, uh, but they picked oh, out no, the general well, manager yeah, and the was, manager in, in Canada. Yeah, um, well, and the general manager and the manager are the ones that took the brunt, right? They got fired, and I wouldn't disagree with them getting fired. Um, the general manager says he never knew. I don't know if that's true or not. It doesn't really matter. He's gone. But the fact, you know, you bring up that the players got off scot free, and that doesn't seem right to me. Um, I think the baseball players union is very strong. I'm sure baseball had its attorneys kind of look at this thing and probably advise the commissioner, you know, don't go there. 
you'll either lose the fight or this will be a protracted fight. Let's just kind of get this out of the way. But as a fan, as somebody who follows baseball and, you know, I'm invested in baseball, not financially, but, you know, in my life, I'm invested in baseball. I think that um, there should be some repercussions for the, for the players. I don't know if it's suspensions. I think they probably determined they can't fine them. I don't know what the fines would have mattered, but I don't like that the players get off scot-free. I just, that, that stinks to me. Me too. Ron, I want to ask about your book. You and Big Daddy Graham put out a book back in 2007. I have it, the great book of Philadelphia Sports List. And now you guys have, I guess, completely revised and updated it. Tell our listeners about it. Yeah, we decided 13 years later uh, it was time to do it all over again. So it's a fun book, the great book of Philadelphia Sports List. As you said, Big Daddy Graham and I wrote it together. And um, we got a lot of great contributions from people, including – Angelo Cataldi, Ray Dinger, Merrill Reese, Fransky in L.A., Claude Giroux, uh, Jay Wright. And um, it's really a good, light read. I, I know that when I say this, I'm almost putting down my own work, but it's the perfect bathroom book. You just can read it. Uh, you can turn to any page in the book and, and have fun, find something fun to read. Some of the lists are serious. Some of the lists are kind of frivolous. They're all good for debate good back of the bar book also so uh yeah we enjoyed it and i think people are liking it yeah and i saw big daddy the other night at the banquet he was in the wheelchair but uh, he was in good spirits and it's great to see him getting back into uh, better health so it is and i know he's gonna he's gonna start doing some um some short some limited shows on the station and i think that's great news everybody wants to everybody wants to hear big daddy back on the air it'll be terrific Awesome. And lastly, from me, Glenn, I think you're going to recognize this voice. Keep on scratching. I've got to ask you, what is the story with your disdain of Gus the Groundhog, Glenn? You can't stand Yeah, I hate that guy. Um, first of all, I just find the commercials really annoying, but they're the bigger story, which is going to make me sound embittered, but I guess I am, is that um, I do some acting on the side. It's a fun hobby for me. I don't ever expect to get an Oscar or an Emmy, but I do like to do some acting on the side. And I got cast in a Pennsylvania lottery commercial, um, whatever, a year and a half ago for the summer. takes place in a ballpark. Gus is in the stands talking to some fans. I played the peanut vendor, the popcorn vendor, excuse me, and I walked down the aisle and said, popcorn, popcorn, and I did it, and I – Shot it over about 12 hours one day and was really excited to see when the commercial came out. The commercial came out, and I was entirely removed from it except you see my hip and my hand walking down the aisle. (laughs) But they took out my line, and they took out my face, and that stupid groundhog got all the lines. So, you know, do I feel upstaged by a rodent? I suppose I do. Boy, this really is personal. (laughs) <laughs> oh, absolutely. I don't deny it, and it probably makes me sound petty and all that. I mean, they did. I did get a paycheck for the day, but you know, I I was excited to. I was going to be in a lottery commercial, and I'll, I don't think anybody in the world, other than my wife and I, recognized my hand. So there you go. <laughs> I, I knew the story. I just wanted to hear it again, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So uh, you made my night. Yeah. Hey, Glenn. Before we wrap it up, I have to ask you real quick: How's the brewery going? And uh... How things going with that? Listen, that's been a really fun venture for me. Um, I'm one of the um, in, investors in the Concha Brewing Company, 
We started with one in Conshohocken. We've now got five brew pubs in Conshohocken, Havertown, Bridgeport, Phoenixville, and King of Prussia. Um, maybe more on the way. We quadrupled our production. Um, people enjoy beer. How about that? People like yeah. beer. And, and I, I think do. we make our, our brewer, Andrew Horn and Gordon Grubb, they make really good beer. And so uh, it's done really well, and I'm, I'm delighted to be part of it. Well, I have to tell you, Glenn, that uh, I don't drink beer anymore uh, due to a, a missing what? kidney. What? Uh, well, I lost. Oh. I took my kidney out, so I kind of uh, had well, it. And I, and I enjoyed it. I can't it, give it a hard I, time for that. Well, but I, I have to tell you, I stopped uh, about two months ago. Me and a buddy were up at the memorabilia show in uh, King of Prussia. Stopped at a restaurant, and they had and Brewery beer, so I tried it, and I liked it. Well, there you go. I appreciate it. Just Take it easy with that kidney. I would I wouldn't want to be the cause of any more problems, but I appreciate the kind words. Well, it was good. Enjoyed it. Well, hey, Glenn, we are out of time, and uh, we certainly enjoyed you taking time to come sit with us. All right, fellas, my pleasure. Very nice to talk to you. Good luck with it all. All right, thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. Bye bye. Let's take a break to talk about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn. The Irish Rover has a terrific variety of food on the menu, from wings and sandwiches and the chef's killer burgers to great entrees like grilled salmon, baby back ribs, and filet mignon. And always 24 beers on tap. Lunch, dinner, and happy hour specials, too. The Rover has a DJ every Friday night and live bands most Saturday nights, but this Saturday, dueling pianos will be there taking all your requests. The Irish Rovers on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn and on the web at irishroversstationhouse.com. And believe it, it's birthday number 67 for former Journey lead singer Steve Perry. One of my favorite songs. And you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good! It is good, Chad, and it, uh, as I said, it's one of my favorite songs right there. And i got to make a correction. I don't know where I got 67. Steve Perry is actually 71 today. I must have been looking at today in music history from 2016. He is 71 today. How about that? Wow. Well, it's still one of my favorite songs. Hey, you had an opportunity, as you mentioned, to attend the 116th Philadelphia Sports Writers Association Banquet in Cherry Hill on Monday night. I know this is something you look forward to every year. They had a great bunch of guests there and awards and all that and uh next year i'm in yeah you got to get there it's a real good time now i didn't write down uh anything to tell you about it right now other than a little story that i posted on our website phillypressboxradio.com so i'm going to kind of work from those notes but yeah a great evening they hand out like 15 awards but there's a lot of great opportunities for networking I mean, when I first went there in 2011, I got to talk to the legendary Bill Campbell for the first time. That was a thrill. I met Bill Lyon there three years ago, and, boy, that was a special moment. Uh, I've gotten to know guys like Sam Carcitti and Dan Baker and Lou Nolan better through seeing them at these banquets almost every year. They were all there the other night, and I did catch up with uh, all three of those guys. And I sat at a table with Jeff Ash from KYW. He was a super guy and Zach Simon, another PSWA board member, young guy, 26, but uh, he's a real good guy. Uh, among this year's honorees, Bill, we had J.T. Realmuto, of course, the Phillies uh, catcher and pro athlete of the year, longtime basketball coach Speedy Morris got the Living Legend Award. 
We had uh, the kid from Navy who ran for over 300 yards, their quarterback, Malcolm Perry. Boy, what a game he had in that Army-Navy game, as you know. Jay mm-hmm. Wright was there. Believe it or not, I've never met Jay Wright before. I made it a point to catch him as he was leaving because he had to leave early after getting his award. So I just kind of corralled him and said hello and congratulations and, of course, got a double selfie with him because that's what I do. Uh, Craig Berube, the Chief, was there accepting the Team of the Year award for the St. Louis Blues. How about that? The Blues getting the Team of the Year award. Why not in Philadelphia? He's the former Flyers coach and a former Flyers player. And, you know, many people love him, many can't stand him, but WIP morning show host Angelo Cataldi was this year's recipient of the Bill Campbell Award for Broadcasting Excellence. Some might dispute that. And I got to tell you, Angelo's speech was both sincere because he was really appreciative. And also very funny, thanks to a bit featuring the voice of Bill Campbell himself, or maybe comic Joe Conklin imitating Bill Campbell, questioning how the heck Cataldi lasted 30 years in the business, let alone won a broadcasting award. And as my parting shot later, you're going to hear some of that, and I guarantee you, you will laugh. So stick around for the parting shot later in our show. And as I mentioned when we had Glenn on, Joe Girardi was there, and boy, what a hit he was. He got a standing ovation before he even said a word to anybody because people are just excited about him being in town. Part of that, I guess, is because he's following Gabe Kapler, who they wanted out of town. Uh, the Philly fan base is going to love this guy, Bill. During his speech, he praised Real Muto, you know, as the silver slugger and gold glove award-winning catcher that he is. He also mentioned the achievements of several of the other award winners on the dais, which means he was clearly paying attention to, you know, all these other fine people up there mentioning, you know, the Princeton University women's basketball player and what she did, uh, mentioning Sean Couturier being such a great young player. Uh, he had a little fun with Angelo Cataldi. So people are going to love Joe Girardi. Just a real good night. Oh, the final award of the, uh, the night, always very emotional. This year the most courageous award went to an Army corporal, Kevin McCloskey, a Philadelphia native, who in Afghanistan 12 years ago lost both of his legs in an explosion uh, he also had some other various injuries, including traumatic brain injury. He's now doing pretty well with his two prosthetic, prosthetic legs. He's able to golf now with the prosthetic legs, and he says that's a new love. And, of course, very moving to hear him talk about what he went through and how he's been able to come back thanks to the love of his family and friends, and he was very appreciative of this award. So all in all, great night. Got to chat up a lot of people, and it's a great event every January, and I hope to see you there next year, Bill, for sure. Well, I, I'm planning on it. Sounds like a good time, and uh, I love your comments about Girardi because I know what I've read and, and know a little bit about him. Is, is He is a sports junkie like the rest of us, and uh, like you said, he starts talking about other guys' achievements because he follows. And, yeah, uh, he does. He's a huge does. college football fan, which makes me happy. Uh, he probably could have talked LSU for an hour if he'd had the chance, even though he's a Bama guy, uh, Bama fan, he's a Nick Saban guy. Uh, but, yeah, good stuff. And, uh, you know, he's going to bring a lot of excitement to the Phillies. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Phillies in a, in a little bit. But uh, good stuff. And glad you got to, to meet Jay Wright. Uh, yeah. he, he's an icon. He, he's a Hall of oh, Famer. Oh, he is. He is. And he got the good guy award, and I can see why. I mean, he's just so great with the media, and anybody who did get a chance to talk to him, he was great with them. And getting back to Girardi, yeah, he mentioned he was at the Army-Navy game for the first time and said, boy, what a thrill. And then he mentioned, you know, Malcolm Perry and the game that he had. So 
definitely a sports fan and a guy, as I said, that Phillies fans are going to love. Of course, it'll help if they win, you know, 90 games, too. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Well, hey, Chad, did you know that 56% of Americans have no idea how much they'll need to retire? If that sounds like you, you need to talk to Dave Lavoie from Allstate and Westchester, PA. Yep, the same person you count on to help protect you can also help you set a reasonable retirement goal and then show you the right financial solutions to help get you there. A good plan and a good life starts with someone you trust. Call Allstate agent Dave Lavoie in Westchester, Pennsylvania, 610-430-0700, the number. Start planning for your retirement today. Again, the number 610-430-0700. And, Bill, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess you've never watched this TV show, another one on that lengthy list of stuff you haven't seen. But the 10th season of Curb Your Enthusiasm premiered this past Sunday on HBO. Funny as hell, and here's just a little bit of the theme music to that great show. I love it. Well, I've heard the, that little jingle before, but I uh, can't say I've seen the show, nor do I care, I don't think. Why does that not surprise me? Why? No, no. I do know who Jennifer Aniston is, though. Well, I hope so. I'd start who to worry about you. Who was that other girl you that. talked about you didn't, couldn't believe? I didn't know who, who she uh, was. Alyssa Milano. Alyssa Milano, because she was in yeah. Charmed and Melrose Place, and she dated some baseball players. I thought you yeah. would have known her. Oh, well. Yeah, now. Yeah. Nah. Nah, who cares? Okay. All right. Here. Hey, Ted, the Flyers hit the all-star break with a one-week vacation. They're as hot as any team in the league. It's a good thing, too. Uh, they've won five of seven against the upper-level teams in the NHL, presently sit tied for the eighth playoff spot, but just one point from the seventh spot. Um, the goal at the break, 50 games, is to be in a position to make the playoff push down the stretch, and they have put themselves in that position. Yeah, they have. Uh, just a point uh, out of seventh place, but they're also just a point out of ninth place and missing the playoffs. I think Toronto right behind them. So they're in a good position right now. They've played very well of late, as you said, beating some real good teams, some of the best teams in the league. And the key is they've been getting great goaltending. They're getting some good balance now in terms of scoring. Jake Voracek waking up a little bit of late. JVR especially the last few games. And the defense looked really good in the win last night, so that was great to see. Just just 19 Penguin shots. Yeah, yeah. And they've done this the last two weeks without Carter Hart, and hopefully he will be back after the All-Star break. They get another week off right now before playing the Penguins again out in Pittsburgh, I guess a week from tonight or a week from tomorrow, something like that. So, uh, yeah, they're out in Pittsburgh next week. And I don't know if Carter Hart will be back for that one, but he should be back shortly thereafter, at least we hope so. Okay, and here's some information for you, Chad. And I went to our resident expert, Bill Meltzer, with this today so that I understood it, and I'm going to pass this on. Because there seemed to be a question with the tiebreaker where the Flyers actually have more wins than Columbus has. But Columbus is ahead of the Flyers in the standings. I saw that. Why is that? Same amount of games. Here's the reason from Mr. Meltzer. Okay, new for this season. The first tiebreaker is most regulation wins. The second tiebreaker, which used to be the first tiebreaker, is the most regulation plus overtime wins. And the third Uh, tiebreaker is head-to-head. So it's new this uh, season, uh, but the important thing is the first tiebreaker 
is the most regulation wins. And right now, um, the Flyers don't have that. Interesting. And in some standings that you look at, it doesn't even tell you, you know, if it's a regulation win or not. So the ones I looked at last night, I saw that they had the same amount of points, but the Flyers had more W's, but yet they had Columbus ahead of them. And I was confused, too. And now you tell me why. So there it is. Well, like I said, I didn't understand it either. So I reached out to Bill this morning and uh, laid the question on him. And he was right on top of it, as always. And uh, so we now know what those three tiebreakers are for people asking the question. We know the answer. And there you go. Hey, and I mentioned Sam Carcidi a few moments ago. Had a nice chat with Sam last night. We've had Sam on our show, I think, four times now over the last few years. What a great guy. And Sam was kind enough to give me a copy of his new book, even autographed it for me, The Big 50, just like uh, the Mark Echo one a few years ago about the Eagles, 50 of the greatest moments in Eagles history. This is The Big 50 about the Flyers that Sam Carcidi wrote with Wayne Fish, who was also one of the honorees at the banquet. And I haven't read the whole thing yet, but I looked at it, and it looks really good, talking about, you know, some of the big moments in Flyers history, some of the great players, and they have a bunch of little sidebars, you know. So I highly recommend it, and I can't wait to sit down and read it. It is The Big 50 by Sam Carcidi and Wayne Fish. It's available at Amazon and probably some other bookstores out there. If you're a Flyers fan, be sure to check it out and pick it up. All right, good deal. I bet it's good. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Chad, hey, let's welcome back our man Fred Hugo. Talk some Sixers before we talk playoff football. Fred, you with us? And welcome back. What's up, guys? Oh, Yo, Freddy. Life is good. It's always what good. are we talking about? Well, as I mentioned, well, we're not trade. We're not trading Ben Simmons anymore. Well, <laughs> ben Simmons trade talks over. We're going to get to that, Fred. Here we go. As we mentioned, Sixers have won four. In a row, they got that explosion game from Ben Simmons on Monday, triple-double, and then five blocks and five steals to go with it. Chet, you mentioned your concern with this team last week. And Fred, what's your take just past the halfway point of the season of this team, of Joel Embiid, of Ben Simmons, and where they're going? I just think they're 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 growing and, and, and learning to be a team as they've been, you know, and, and Ben Simmons is – and, Bill, you've agreed with this – I think you have to, Chet. Like, Ben is, is young. He's developing. He's learning. He's put together a couple of nice halves, and then he kind of fades. But what I think the main thing you're seeing right now is the commitment to defense, and most importantly, in the second half in the fourth quarter. And we're, we haven't played, you know, star-studded teams, so we've still gotta, you've still got to match it up against, you know, the better teams in the league, which they have won against when they have full strength. But I'm saying the bad teams we've – been losing to or not put our foot on the gas where these last this last stretch they've actually you know made a commitment to defense I was looking up stats in the fourth quarter I think they've held teams to 20 and under the last uh the last four or five games so that's what I think you're seeing now yeah I've liked what I've seen from Simmons of course of late he's really taken over a lot of first halves and then he finally put a full game together against Brooklyn Monday afternoon so that was nice to see we're all a little bit greedy. We still want to see him take the outside shot. I know Brett Brown says maybe we're making too much of it. But, boy, if he does add that, whether it's this year or next year, he's going to be a superstar. Right now, he's a very good player. He's a borderline star. Maybe you could say he's a star, but he's not one of the elite just yet. If he adds that outside shot to his game, he is there and one of the elite and a perennial 
all-star. Well, I think I think the thing you got to remember is uh, in a game like Monday, without Embiid and these guys, the really good players like Simmons, Embiid, and Harris, and them, they can do this any day. They can throw up a triple double any day that Ben Simmons decides he wants to. He can get a triple double. Uh, they're that good, and I think I think he is so overly criticized. I just don't I just don't understand it. This kid's got a ton of tools. I know, Bill. They, it's the criticism is sometimes warranted, but not not as much. Like this is the one guy that if you wanted to, outside of him not shooting the jump jumper, is a Philly like player. Like this guy hustles twenty four seven on the floor. He's always playing defense. He's always in the mix for offensive rebounds. You know, and I just don't fully get it. I understand, but he's in his third year, and like you just said, Chet, on a on a average or he's just a regular night showing up he's a good player to all-star and eventually if when he puts it together if he does he's a superstar mvp of the league but if he doesn't let's just say he doesn't he's still an all-star every year a good player a good piece and defensively something you need for a championship squad so i I don't understand the trade talk at all especially given his youth yeah, I don't want to trade him, that's for sure. I don't know where that comes from with a lot of these people. I think it's just the nature of the Philadelphia fan. They're always looking for more, never totally satisfied. I mean, you look at every great quarterback we've had <laughs> in totally this town. Totally satisfied it's been that or way. never satisfied. Period. <laughs> They're just never satisfied. Yeah. I mean, every quarterback, they want to focus on the negative rather than the positive. Uh, all the Phillies sluggers, dating back to Mike Schmidt, all the way through Ryan Howard, I think the only guy who's maybe avoided any serious criticism has been Chase Utley. Everybody loved Chase Utley. But beyond that, in pretty much every sport, I mean, Claude Giroux with the Flyers, you know, he doesn't do enough. It's always somebody Dawkins. who's going to criticize them. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you guys when we finish up here. Right now the Sixers are 29-16 and 16 going into the, to tonight, 10 games out. Second place Miami Heat is eight games out. So they're only two games out of the number two seed. How do you see that playing out with, uh, you know, 45 games in the season? Long way to go. Uh, They've only got two games to make up to become the number two seed. It's been that way for a little bit now. When when everyone was upset with their fifth and sixth seed, it it wasn't a true fifth and sixth seed because they were really three and a half games out, four games out max. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I I, I kind of look at it in an optimistic way. Shocker, right? <laughs> so, uh, I see they've struggled, and they're still within two games of that second seed. It's not like they have a crappy record. They're, they're, they have a good record, and they're on pace to win 50-plus games. So, you know, now you, you lock down, and they'll probably make a move, you know, at the deadline. Furkan Korkmaz, I didn't mention him. That's a huge – if he can – consistently knock shots down. He doesn't have to have go six of seven for three, but if he can come off the bench and give you three threes and not be a turnstile on defense, that's huge. So I'm, I'm optimistic that they can close the gap and at least get, you know, maybe a three seed and probably the two. I, I mean, the heat, there's no one in the East that I'm just like, Oh wow, we have no shot. There's no way we can beat them. Yeah. I do want to see them at least get a third seed. That's for sure. And I think that's very feasible. I mean, still a long way to go. I think two things have to happen for that to happen that way. 
Joel Embiid's got to come back, you know, within a few weeks and be in decent shape already when he's coming back, not take another two or three weeks after coming back to get in shape while he's playing. He's got to be working out now. I mean, he should be working the legs and the cardio right now because there's no stopping him from doing that. So he's got to get back and be in shape, and they still have to add another shooter before the trade deadline. I think you think they will, Fred. I do too. All right. See, let's talk a little football. Super Bowl is set with the Chiefs 49ers. Lines up as a classic offensive shootout. Uh, but before we get to that, how do we do on our championship game picks? What's our playoff records up to this point with just one game left? Well, guys, unfortunately, Fred's been eliminated from our little postseason competition. He picked both underdogs <laughs> last weekend, Tennessee and Green Bay. Neither won, so Fred falls to four and six in the postseason. Bill, you and I correctly picked Kansas City and San Francisco, so we were a perfect two for two with our picks. I'm now seven and three in the postseason, guys. Bill, you are six and four. So unless we uh, pick differently in the Super Bowl, uh, I'm going to have at least a tie. Uh, we're going to hold off though on our Super Bowl picks till next week, next Wednesday show. But I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to February second. Chiefs and Niners in Super Bowl Fifty Four should be a real good one. Well, and, and Chet, I wanted to—I was going to start this out with you. Uh, how do you see this game playing out? We got a Super Bowl Fifty Two shootout like the Eagles Patriots, or a Super Bowl Fifty Three slugfest like the Rams and Patriots? Certainly, on paper, it looks like it's going to be an offensive showdown. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of points. I mean, the 49ers do have a pretty good defense, but Kansas City is just so explosive. And conversely, San Francisco's offense maybe isn't as great, but Kansas City's defense isn't all that. So, yeah, I think it's going to be more likely a high-scoring game. And I hope it is because it's it's kind of fun to watch that. I know you say defense wins championships, but – People like to see points. They like to see offense, too. And I hope it is a, you know, 47-39 to 39 game or whatever, or 41-33 if those numbers ring a bell. There you go. Fred, what do you think? I think it's going to come somewhere in the middle. You know, I don't think it's going to be like like 41-33. to 33. I also don't think it's going to be like last year, 3 nothing or whatever it was, 10-3 or whatever. So, I think, you know, you have a good defense – you have a good defensive coordinator on the other side and Steve Spagnuolo. So the Chiefs, you know, they have good players there. They can, they can rush the passer. That offense, that, that's going to be the key. Can the, can the 49ers match up with that offense and, and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey? And then once you have them covered, <laughs> then you have Mahomes that will run for a 40-yard touchdown. That was the game changer in, in that Titans game, you know. So it, it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I think we'll fall in, like, the 20s is, is where it will fall. Well, it's going to be interesting, and, uh, you know, I think somebody, it, it comes down to somebody makes a big play here, uh, and, you know, even if it ends up 41 to 33, I think somebody's going to have to make a stop uh, and make a defensive play that's that's going to turn this thing around. Turnovers will be critical. And and the one other thing I want to point out is uh, I was just so surprised that the Packers, uh, you know, you got to give the credit to the 49ers offensive line for running the ball like they did, but the Packers were just atrocious against the run. Never seen anything like it in a playoff game. Hmm. It was amazing. They would they throw the ball eight times the whole game, I, and they're and they were dominating. It was like, not that I didn't see the 49ers having a chance to win. I know I picked the Packers, but obviously the 49ers are right. You know what I mean? They're nine point favorites, but the fact that they just 
it was like they didn't even – the defensive line didn't show up. The linebackers didn't show up. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and like, yeah, hey, you got to give the credit to the 49ers for – I mean, they, they're the ones that got it done. But, my goodness, it looked like, you know, we could have run through there. And how about the fact yeah. that the big guy was Raheem Mostart, who was a former Eagles practice squad guy and who was with about six other teams who decided he wasn't good enough, and now he's looking like a superstar. Amazing. This amazing. He got his chance to shine, and he took it, and uh, I'm really happy yep. for him. Oh, yeah. Did you hear his comments? No. He said, um, he said we, we have no – he was talking about the former teams. He said, we have no problem with Philadelphia. We enjoyed our time there. It was great there. And then he said the other four teams, though, I don't know about all them that passed on him. So I guess he, <laughs> he, made it, he loved it here for some reason. Well, <laughs> hey, Fred, before you go, before you go, one question for both of you guys. And I honestly don't know how I feel about it. I was going to ask Glenn Mack now, but we didn't get to it. We were talking about Hall of Famers. Eli Manning is retiring. His career record, 117 and 117 regular season, 8-4 and four in the playoffs, the two Super Bowls, of course. Is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? Should he be and will he be? Will he be? Yes, because of the two Super Bowls. Do I think he should be? No. And I think the bar is being lowered year by year. And I, I, don't, I don't see – if he gets in, then there's a bunch of other quarterbacks in that era that now qualify to get in. I, I just don't – I don't look at him and think Hall of Fame quarterback. I just – he won a couple Super Bowls on the backs of a defense. He made some plays. But I, I don't think he should get in. I think he will, though. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, Chad, I was going to bring this up because it just popped up on my screen. 57,023 yards passing, 366 touchdowns, 125 victories, uh, 51 300-yard games, 42 game-winning drives, Walter Payton Man of the Year, two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP, and four Pro Bowls. Um I'm not an Eli Manning fan, but those numbers are going to speak for themselves that he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I agree with Fred that he will get in for sure, but I'm still not convinced just having, you know, watched him a lot of years and that one loss record. I know some of the teams weren't great, but, yeah, those numbers that you just mentioned, Bill, they they sound Hall of Fame worthy for sure. So he will get in, but uh, I don't know if he should, but he will. He will. He absolutely yep. will. Hey, Fred, before we let you go, uh, give a shout-out to where people can find you because you're still busy. Yep, you can find me on Facebook, search Fred Hugo, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Fred Hugo underscore, and then on 930 on YouTube and Facebook, Edge of Philly Sports, do about an hour show there as well. On Wednesday. Wednesday, You said 930. That's 930 Wednesday, right? Tonight. Like tonight. Tonight, yep. There you go. Good deal, Fred. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Get your Super Bowl prediction ready. See you, Fred. All right, see you guys. I will. All right. Hey, Chet, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia for all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room. That's right. PPCC 118 Razroom on Facebook. Hey, Chet, never too early or too cold to talk spring training baseball. The first game is exactly one month from today, February 22nd, when the Phils opens against the Tigers in Lakeland. Uh, we're certainly going to talk more about the Phillies, but want to get your January 19 degree take 
on Joe Girardi and the Phils? Well, you brought up a question earlier. Can the manager make that much of a difference, you know, just on its own? And I think it can. This guy is a baseball lifer, certainly knows the game, and he's just really impressive. And I think he is going to make a difference. I think, excuse me, I think he's going to get more out of some of the players that are there. We still have to figure out what's going on with the third baseman and, you know, who's playing in the outfield every day. Uh, the pitching is a concern, but I do think they're going to be an over 500 team this year for sure. Uh, you know, they got to stay healthier than last year for one thing. Uh, hopefully Andrew McCutcheon, you know, has got another good year or two left in him, but I'm excited about the whole Girardi era. I want to see Alec Bohm get a shot in spring training, but if not, I think he will be up come June or July and take over at third base. And maybe Hazley, you know, will be better than we thought out in center field. And who, do, who the heck knows what's going to happen with the Odubel Herrera situation? I don't think he's going to be on the Phillies, but they are bringing him to spring training in the minor league camp. And hopefully he'll be in shape and impress enough people that they can trade him and, you know, get something, a, a reliever prospect or something. So keep an eye on that, too. But, you know, every year, no matter what the situation is, I get excited about this time of year knowing that in a month, they're going to be down there in Florida and starting to play spring training games. Yeah, me too. I'm excited about it, too. And you mentioned the two guys that I was going to mention, too. You know I'm excited about Alec Baum. I think he's he the kid just hits the baseball. You know, they sent him to the Fall League, Chet, uh, to get some work out there in Scottsdale, and he only hit 361. Uh, not too bad after, after hitting 367 at Lakewood, 329 at Clearwater. The kid can hit the baseball, and if he can play any kind of third base, I want to see them Carter Hard him. Bring him up, put him in the lineup, let him learn. He's a college kid, so he's already 22 years old. It's not like you're trying to bring up a kid that's 19, you know. Um, Hazley, I'm also kind of excited about. I think he improved a lot last year. I want to see how he does. Um, unfortunately, as, as Glenn said, we, they didn't improve the pitching enough. I don't think to be really serious, but, uh, yeah. but you know, uh, let's see how it goes. I want to see some of these young guys and I think it's going to be a fun season. Yeah. I mean, maybe Spencer Howard will be just so impressive. The pitcher that they'll bring him up right away or at least mid season, maybe just maybe, you know, Velasquez or Pavetta will finally see the light and get it going. I'm not optimistic, but you never know. Um, they signed Drew Storm. That's not overly exciting. But somebody's got to just, you know, make a statement and come up and surprise you. And hopefully one of these guys will, because I, I want to root for this team so badly. I want to see another division race and maybe some postseason action. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, if they can get one of those guys, you know, one of those young kids to really step up and be real good with the other guys they have around them, the nucleus, I think they have a chance to certainly be a little more competitive. And I don't see uh, late season collapses happening under – uh, Girardi that happened under that other guy. I'm with you. All right. Well, hey, Chet, we've started 2020 with Frank Fitzpatrick, Ashley Greenblatt, Ray Dittinger, Bill Meltzer, Kevin Riley, and now Glenn Mack now. The bar is high for next week's guest, so who do you have coming to Philly Press Box Radio? Well, Bill, next week we're going to have more Super Bowl preview stuff and talk about whatever's going on in terms of the Philly sports scene as well. Maybe we'll talk about some of those wacky Super Bowl prop bets because 
we got a great guest to cover all of that, Ed Barkowitz from Inquirer.com and the Daily News. Ed loves all the betting stuff, and he loves everything about the Philly sports scene. So we're going to have Ed Barkowitz join us live next week. Very good. Looking forward to it. Ed, Ed will have uh, – he likes some prop bets, I think. I, I, I like some of them. They're kind of fun. Yeah, I haven't looked at them yet for this year, but I can't wait, and I want to see if Ed has any tips for us. All right. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Parting shot for you tonight. Well, I mentioned, Bill, uh, when we talked about the Philly Sports Banquet, I mentioned that Angelo Cataldi got the Bill Campbell Award, and it was a really good little acceptance speech by Angelo. As you're well aware, some people love Angelo. Many people, well, do not. And he knows that. He joked about it but was very appreciative of the award, though he said he realized that the great Bill Campbell himself would wonder how the heck this clown was given a broadcasting award. Here's a little bit of what went down the other night at the Crown Plaza in Cherry Hill. Angelo Cataldi getting the award, the Bill Campbell Award. He's looking down right now, and he's not thrilled I got this award. <laughs> he's not thrilled at all. How dare you? Are you kidding me? Oh, Angelo Cataldi, big shot. 30 years ago, I met a polite, humble young journalist who asked me to show the ropes of sports radio. The man you see standing at the podium tonight bears no resemblance to What you have done to journalism since then has been nothing short of a disgrace. You're kidding me? You've been an embarrassment to me, the city, yourself, and your profession. Publicity stunts, fat slobs eating chicken wings, women being objectified by low-life drunks. You, my friend, are a clown. (laughs) (laughs) The great Joe Conklin as Bill Campbell. Very funny stuff, so uh, I enjoyed that. Very good, very good. Well, like I said, I'm looking forward to trying to get to that uh, next year, too. I know you've enjoyed it every year, and I want to be part of that since I'm going to be around a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I made a New Year's resolution I forgot to mention a couple of weeks ago. I made a New Year's resolution to read more, so I'm turning the subtitles on on my television. Closed captions. <laughs> yeah, to watch those <laughs> stupid award shows you watch. <laughs> yes, anyway. I do. The gr- Grammys on Sunday, pal. So with that, we've reached the top of the hour because we can't top that. Let's thank tonight's special guest, Glenn Mac now for Hugo, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's Like Your Age.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave Lavoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, January 29th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or you can find our podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, and a bunch of other places. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Keep on scratching. High hopes, keep on scratching.